0: Got it? There we go. Had a little confusion about who's teaching this morning. Uh, Chris taught lesson 15 last week, and I was scheduled to teach 16. So I just assumed okay, I'm teaching next week. And then here's Larry. I I didn't realize they had gotten out of sync. So, Larry, I assume you'll teach your lesson soon. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and that kind of leads into a comment I was going to make on the front end this morning. Uh, we're on lesson 16 in the book, which is page 92. And uh, <clears throat> first, I apologize because I've been sick for about two weeks, and so I'm probably going to cough, and may even have to stop and blow my nose, and I'm sorry. I apologize ahead of time if, if that's the case. Uh, but anyway, um, there was a clipboard that was circulating around with the with the lessons listed on it, and each of us teachers signed up for it. and I just looked at the lesson title, you know, and said, well, I'll teach this one, this one, this one. And so when I looked at this one, I mis- misunderstood what the content of the lesson was about. I, uh, it, it's in regard to the question that's asked in Exodus chapter 12, verse 26, what mean ye by this service? Well, if you go look at the definition of the term service, It has different definitions, and so I thought of it in in the sense of the action of helping someone or doing something for someone. That's how I interpreted the title of this lesson. But it also has a definition of a, um, uh, a system supplying a public need, such as busing in the city is a service, and we're at a service. So it has somewhat of a different uh, meaning depending on how you use it, uh, and in this case, it was different from what I what I thought. Uh, and so, if you if you've looked at, at chapter 16, and I hope you have, because again, we kind of got out of sync there, and, and uh, maybe you spent some time on it. Um, Brother Brownlow uh, talks about. A service in terms of like we're meeting this this morning, okay, and so that's how we're going to approach the lesson. Uh, he goes into some detail about first as an example the Passover, which is in Exodus chapter twelve, verses twenty one through twenty eight, and he he comments that you know the Lord saw the need. Uh, that there, there would be questions asked later on by the children of Israel relative to keeping the Passover as generations passed. And then, you know, there would perhaps questions come up. Uh, and so, um, as he wrote in here, it would be a memorial to the Lord's passing over the houses of the children of Israel when He smote the Egyptians. And so we see uh, through Scripture, uh the lord setting up symbols uh or things that represent other things and it is it serves as a memorial to preserve the memory uh you know that uh that this occurred at some some point in time and to keep it in remembrance and so that's that was the purpose of the passover and then uh, the next thing that Brother Brownlow talks about is the rainbow being a symbol. Of course, we, we're very familiar with that. That after the flood, the Lord put a rainbow in the sky uh, to represent a certain meaning. Um, it's a memorial to the covenant that God made with man that there would never be another flood that destroyed the earth. It represents that. Unfortunately, the very evil people in the world today have taken that symbol and made it something different that we totally and adamantly oppose. Um, I saw something just sidebar to that. Uh, I forget where I read it at. But um, the rainbow as it's used by the homosexual com- community to represent their belief system has I believe seven or maybe six colors in it. But God's rainbow in the sky has seven colors in it, and there's some significance to that. But that's not the purpose of our lesson this morning. We won't, we won't get into that. Uh, again, it's true. The world will not again be destroyed by water. That's what that rep- rainbow represents to us. But rather by fire, uh, and, and it will be completely destroyed. Uh, so much so, as he stated in here, that it's going, to pass, you know, it's going to pass away at the end of time. And then the next thing uh, Brother Brownlow speaks about is the Omar of Manna, uh, which was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a symbol to remind the, the children of Israel that the Lord fed them while they were in, you know, wandering in the wilderness. And so again there's, you know, another symbol. And as we can go through, we could probably look at other things too. Brother Brownlow could have too. But what he ends up with is the symbol that that I won't really want to spend the time talking about this morning that we have and that you and I share, and that's the Lord's Supper. Um, <clears throat> he wrote, What mean ye by eating this bread and drinking this fruit of vine? And the answer is... Uh, Uh, is, as he said, it's a sweet and simple memorial to Christ. It shows the Lord's death. It's a memorial that preaches the new covenant to us. And it is a memorial that is repeated every week. Uh, In Acts 2.42, the the church in Jerusalem continued steadfastly in, the, in in the observance of the memorial uh, of the taking of the Lord's Supper and that it's a fact that they continue steadfastly and it re- indicates to us like he says that it's regular that it happens at a certain frequency rather than an occasional custom my dad's family uh, I'll just be direct they were in the ba- they were Baptist my dad grew up in the Baptist Church and I have an uncle that was a Baptist minister. I'm not going to flatter him by calling him what they called him because he wasn't that. Uh, but um, uh, one, one of his children, a son, uh, we were visiting on a family get-together as children and we were playing around their church building. They had a, a home right beside the church building that, that the church owned that they lived in. And somehow we got inside the building, I remember, and um, went by their communion. And I said something, I can't remember what I said. Uh, but my cousin, this stuck, has stuck with me over over the years, my cousin said, "Well, we, ta- we don't just take it any old time. We take it every few months or something. And, and I thought, well, how <laughs> ironic. Any old time, and you do it every few months, and the, the Bible says... They did it weekly, you know. And I'm sure he was repeating something he had heard. You know, he didn't think that out. Anyway, back on track. So let's talk about Christians eating the Lord's Supper for a while, for the time that we have remaining. And the two passages that I think are best for us to focus on this morning, we could look at several. Of course, we could look to the Gospels and the institution of the Lord's Supper, but. I want, to, I want to look to the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 10, verses 16 through 20, and then another passage out of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. And we've heard that latter passage, I know, read many times. I, I personally, uh, if I'm going to make any comments at the Lord's Supper, table when i'm when i'm serving it's going to be probably that i read just read these passages because i can't say anything i can't i'm a man who cannot say anything that can add to that so i, I go to the scripture uh so uh, we've read those passages uh i do want to read the first one right quickly four verses the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe, Israel, that after the, f- the flesh, are, those, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar, What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So, again, the the New Testament church is instructed to assemble regularly on the first, first day of the week, at which time they were required to observe the Lord's Supper. And, and we, need, we need to understand that. You know, uh, you folks who may be listening online who are denominational, you need to study your Bibles uh, and, and see what they did. See the example that's set to us. See what we read in Scripture. But for us this morning, I want to talk about what we need to learn in terms of the proper attitude that we ought to characterize as we observe the Lord's Supper, the manner in which it ought to be done. And then, therefore, the blessings that are going to flow from it and and, and through it. <clears throat> and I want to make a point that, you know, how, you tell me, how do we take the Lord's Supper? Where do we go in Scripture and it tells us how to do that? Well, there's instructions there, but, but They're to the point. We're not actually given like formal instructions that at this time in the service you do this, 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 and this, but rather instructions about what we do internally. Other than the bread being unleavened bread and the cup being the fruit of the vine, and that it was blessed partaken of and what else does it tell us really examine examine ourselves so of course as i said we could go to the gospels we have the example of christ instituting the lord's supper of breaking the bread and of giving thanks and then taking the cup and giving thanks but nothing formal as if we're performing some ceremony if you will The focus in the instruction is just like Houston just said, it's on our inward selves. Examining ourselves as we remember the sacrifice on the cross. And I'm speaking, I'm telling you what I believe and you're welcome to speak up and disagree if if I say anything that I do, so please do that. Let's remember also that he's speaking to the Corinthians here in the passages we've we've read here. And they were converted from heathenism. And, and just like in our culture today, our culture is people come into the church, bring things from the world, you know, outside from the world. And, and you got to know that they did that too during this time. They brought views into the church that grew out of these. These paganistic practices. A lot of those people there in Corinth had been idol worshippers prior to to their obedience to the gospel, and they sure surely had friends, they had family, and acquaintances um, that still engaged in that that idol worship at that time. And in. You go around your family and your acquaintances and you talk and you have conversation and you hear stuff, don't you? And you hear opinions. And so you know that they got influenced by that. You know that they were being pressured, just like you and I get pressured. And so questions arose touching the proper attitude that ought to characterize Christians in their association with these prayers pagan friends and family members and neighbors. You know, for instance, should they go into the heathen temples with their, with their brethren, with their, with their friends? And would it be wrong for them to join in the whatever, the festivals, um, uh, the activities that are dedicated and devoted to idol worship and, and what of, what of the feasts that were held in the temples? You know, could they, could they also participate in them? Those were the kinds of things I think that were coming up, kinds of questions that they likely were confronted with maybe even bombarded with, uh, just like we're bombarded, aren't we, with all of this woke stuff, <coughs> craziness out in the world and uh, the, the embracing of the of the homosexual culture, you know, and basically pushing it down our throats and making us bad and the ones that that do wrong anyway, back on track, these are the kind of questions that that I think we're probably being confronted by the by the uh, Corinthian brethren, in in chapter ten, verses sixteen through twenty-two, that we read, that's that's what you know uh, uh, Paul is dealing with. There was division in the church. Uh, there was questions about the exercise of spiritual gifts, and and then there's this: the manner of partaking of the Lord's Supper. Those were problems that had arisen in the context of the assembly of the Corinthian church. And that's, those are the things that Paul's dealing with in his letter here. Whatever you would say about the Lord's Supper, I think you have to realize it's a community event. It is an event that the church assembles for. Um, I'm greatly concerned. I hope you are too about where we're at and our right now. And you're thinking about it, thinking about what happened with this COVID stuff and and everything that was just dumped on us and scared us to death. And and so everybody said, "Oh, all of a sudden we can't come together because we'll infect every each other." And Thankfully, we're past that, and we're all back together, and we're we're assembling. And I know there's circumstances. I have circumstances when I can't come. You know, if I'm if I'm too sick to be here, I'm not going to you know I'm not going to be here. Or I'm in another state, then I won't be here. You know. So there's 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 circumstances that prevent that. But when they're not those circumstances, we should be here. You need to be here, and I don't know any other way to say it any plainer than that. Why? For one reason, to do this. That's one of, one of the reasons we're here, and we're doing it together as a community. It was the church worshiping together, and it was in doing so, Christians reinforcing one another, reinforcing their faith, and and. In remembering the foundational event for our redemption, which was the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is, is a mutual partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine. It is a communion of Christians with one another and with the Lord. A communion. We're communing together. Like we read there a few moments ago, verse 16 out of 1 Corinthians 10, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Among other things, the Lord's Supper is a a symbol of the church's solidarity in one confession of faith and particularly one hope of salvation that we share. And so Paul here is addressing the Lord's Supper because of the misunderstanding and the abuse of its observance by the the part of the, the Corinthian brethren there. And and the misunderstanding and, and abuse continue to to exist, unfortunately. Um, I hope you would not deny the importance of the Lord's Supper for the assembly and the worship of the church. But but I would also say there's another side to it in that that if we go too far, if we proclaim to the Lord's Supper to be the most important part of our worship. It's not the only thing that we're required to do as we assemble, assemble here. I think, uh, I want to be very careful here. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just going to be right, right up front, I guess. Uh, and Y'all can beat me up later on. Um, The importance of the Lord's Supper for the assembly and the worship of the church—that's that's that's undeniable. But to think we're only here to do that is incorrect. And the result of that thinking is we see folks—you know, like I can remember when my kids were young, you know—and what's the world doing? Well, they're trying to. The world wants to impose on the church, and more so on Sundays, doesn't it? And there's ball games and there's lots of stuff that happens. Oh, it's a day off that lets me do certain activities or go enjoy myself or enjoy my family or whatever. And you've seen people get up and skirt out, take the Lord's Supper, they're gone. Did that happened to you? i I'm just putting it out there, I have to say, um, we've done it, we have, we, my family. Um, And I think it's something to think about. The Bible makes no claim that the Lord's Supper is more important than any other part of our worship, but it is part of our worship, a very important part of our worship. The church assembles to partake of the bread and the cup, but but it assembles to sing and pray. We've done that already this morning. Uh, we're going to later on, out of convenience when the men are up here serving the Lord's Supper, we're going to pass our collection plate. That's We're required to do that. We're told to do that. Um, we, you know, have a great minister here who I hope you appreciate his... His vast biblical knowledge its tremendous. And you should thank Him for that. He's going he's, he's to lead us in some study this morning. We're going to look for guidance from the Scripture. We're going to teach and we're going to encourage one another. I hope you're encouraged by being here, by your brethren being here. So, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul revealed that the Lord delivered to him an account of the institution of the Lord's Supper and showed him the purpose and the design of it. Um, the Lord showed that to Paul. Okay. He didn't hear that from the other apostles. The Lord guided Paul. and So when we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper, that, that's the Holy Spirit through Paul speaking to us. And there isn't any argument that the Corinthians had, had abused the Lord's Supper. They had basically return, you know, turned it into like a common meal. Um, and some were even going so far as to drink so much they were getting drunk. And he con- con- describes the condition in verses 20, 21, 22 like this. When therefore you assemble yourselves together, it is not possible to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating each one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What have ye have not have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and put them to shame? They have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I praise you not. And so we Just for that emphasis there from the Apostle Paul in the writing of 1 Corinthians, we need to consider the proper purpose of the Lord's Supper. The bread of the supper is a symbol of the body of our Lord, and the cup is a symbol of His blood. And to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup, therefore, is to symbolize the body and the blood of our Lord, the body given for us on the cross, and the blood that was shed for our sins. The supper, if you will, the Lord's Supper, is in and of itself a sermon on the Lord's death and on His return. An observation of it is shown His death till He comes. Till he come. Therefore, the the Lord's Supper looks forward as well as backward. And the continued observance of this throughout the centuries that have passed is I think one of the strongest external evidences of the gospel or of the truth of the gospel in history. Think about it, by a chain of weekly links it connects the first and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that there will be no further need for symbols. So we have a retrospective and a prospective significance of the sufferer. And we, we, we don't want to overlook that. The, the communion of the body and the blood of Christ, uh, we've been touching on back in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10. The word communion means participation in or common ownership of and suggests the common bond that characterizes all those who assemble around the table of the Lord. And I want want you to note that the, the we of this passage includes all who partake of it and shows the blessing and the breaking were not the acts of a minister exercising some kind of priestly function, but the act of the whole congregation. And of course, sidebar to this, because it was the Passover season, when it was instituted, the bread used, as, we, as we, we read back in Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, was unleavened bread. And for that reason, we use unleavened bread for the Lord's Supper. The words cup of blessing, if you will, does not mean the cup which brings blessing, but the cup over which the blessing is spoken." The cup consecrated by the benediction. And it sidebar to that too, it kind of sheds light on there's some brethren who want to teach that you can only use one cup because it says the cup. People use this particular passage to say that. It's clear, though, that from from what we read here, that this cup does not refer to the container, but rather to the contents. The cup, the term cup, as used here, is the contents. So there's no relevance to the number of containers that may be used, there is still only one cup, the fruit of the vine, the contents. And it and it's you know it's clearly stated that there's one bread, but there are many loaves, aren't there? You know, you use the same logic for the bread that gets misconstrued. So when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, After he distributed the bread, he he took the cup, the fruit of the vine, as Matthew 26 and verse 29 states. And it was taken, to be taken in remembrance of the blood Jesus was to shed on the cross. And then in verse 25, he said, Jesus said this cup was the new covenant in my blood. It symbolizes not only Jesus' death, but also the covenant of the grace that, that resulted from from his bearing our sins for all of mankind. And Paul even adds an element um, to the Lord's Supper. that goes unmentioned in the Gospels, he said that the observance not only pointed back to the cross, it pointed forward in faith to the time when the Lord would return. And so as we're commemorating the Lord through the communion, through the Lord's Supper, that should be part of the process that's in our hearts and minds. We're remembering what happened and the, the sheer brutality of it. And, uh, you know, we're in a time when things can be seen rather vividly if we want to see those things. I've seen something floating around on Facebook. It's an article that has a couple of pictures in it. You probably have seen, seen it. And it talks about what the flogging was, and show some pictures and the sheer brutality of that. I think we I think we sometimes skim over that. People didn't survive that part. That many people died as a consequence of that. It ripped their bodies to pieces. And so we we can just imagine what the Lord's body was like before they even nailed him to the cross, and the amount of blood that was lost in his state. So I think. I think, I feel like we need that, in, we need that, we need to see that, we need to think about that in our minds, how brutal his death was. And it kind of makes me shudder, it, it just scares me to think about it. It'll it all scare all of us, but anyway, I'm sorry, off on a tangent. Um, We're many members, but there's one bread and one body, the church. And so I think Paul is kind of deducing the mutual communion of believers from the fact that communion, from the fact of their communion with their Lord, their common Lord. And by each and every one of them receiving that. One, one loaf, which represents His body, that's, that signifies that they, that they are all bound together in one spiritual body, uh, united with Christ and, and, and united all of us together, not just here in this building, but worldwide. The Christians that are gathering this morning to do just what we're doing this morning. I'm going to run out of time real quick here and I'm not going to get all the way through everything I want to talk about, Uh, but um, I do want to talk about um, in um, 1 Corinthians 11 verses 27, 28, 29 and talk about personal examination just for a moment before we run out of time. The words unworthy manner uh, that we read in the New King James Version, perhaps other versions, is, the term is used unworthily in the King James Version. It's the same idea. It has to do with the manner of the observance rather than the condition of the individual observing it. I want to ask you a question. Does the Lord forbid an unworthy person to partake of the Lord's supper? Anybody want to venture an answer to that? Does the Lord forbid that? Can you define to me who is an unworthy person? <laughs> Anybody got a definition for that? That's where I was going, Brother Morrow. thank you. Have we all sinned? Have you sinned? On the basis that we've all sinned, can we take the Lord's Supper? Are we unworthy? That's not the meaning of the statement. An unworthy person can still take the Lord's Supper worthily. That is, in a prayerful, reverent, uh, repentant spirit. Anybody disagree? You're welcome to. The Corinthians were observing the Lord's Supper under conditions that were disgraceful. And, and that's what the Apostle Paul's warning against in this, this part of the scripture. We ought to partake very carefully of the emblems, as he said, rightly discerning the purpose and the intent of it. And to do otherwise, we, we violate this passage if we do otherwise. You need to, you need to prove yourself, test yourself. Uh, are you sincere? Is your heart right? And you need to ascertain if you're if you're eating the Lord's Supper in a in a submissive spirit and in, and in as we've already emphasized in loving remembrance of the Lord. And and if you do otherwise you're you're eating, as Scripture tells us, eating and drinking damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. And the Corinthians had apparently lost sight of that, that real significance of the Lord's Supper and, and had made it just a common meal. Um, it was a mockery and it was highly displeasing to God. And This teaches us that, that we can only observe the Lord's Supper in a prayerful, thoughtful, intelligent manner and to do otherwise is to sin against um, the Lord Whose death was the purpose of what we're trying to remember through the Lord's Supper. Well, I had a whole lot more to add. Uh, let's just remember these, these four things real quickly and I'll stop. It has a fourfold significance. It looks backward, in, in it we show forth the Lord's death, it looks forward, in it we show forth. Um, his death until he comes. It looks inward. We're to examine ourselves and then eat. And it looks outward. We're to show forth his death till he comes. It looks backward, forward, inward, and outward. Anyway, thank you for your attention this morning, and we'll stop there. And Larry, I apologize for stepping in on you. <laughs>